0: Told the media team this morning, I didn't appreciate that video. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't need to be reminded of what a mess my world is in. You know, it just it, it, it is so tension-filled right now in our our world. Um, and uh, to take it down to a personal level, um, you know, this past week, uh, Candy lost her mother, my mother-in-law, Betsy Sutteby. Um, used to sit back there where those flowers are in that chair ninety four years old great long life um, but she she went to be with jesus um, and so I, this week i'm um, i 'm feeling a bit uh, this series it 's based on a book by John Eldridge called resilient and so if you 're interested in in pursuing this uh, further and, and understanding Uh, We're only going to deal with it for four weeks, but John's got about 13 chapters or so in the book in which he delves in this very, very interesting subject. Um, It's a little bit like, you know, um, a little bit of a test. Uh, For those of you that are on Facebook, you know that these assessments, you know, find out, you know, what, what your color is or what your, you know... Whatever you know, you want to take a test, and it's always a, it's always a roost to get you to either buy something or get your email or do something. You know, it's, it's going to drag you further in. Um, so I'll admit right now that that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but this is a, this is one of those that you you probably um, have, have never taken before. It's a simple yes or no or a choice. Um, uh, do you feel like emotionally inside you're more like a camel or a horse? Most of you aren't familiar with camels at all, are you? Have you seen them at the zoo, maybe? You know, you, you know a little bit about camel, but, but uh, camels are referred to in, uh, in, in the Eastern world as, as ships of the desert because they can go forever uh, with very little water over thousands of miles of distance and just carry uh, a, a lot of stuff. Now, most of you are familiar with a horse. I didn't get that, Excuse could you try again? Me. No, I can't. Excuse me, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Uh. But a horse, um, Is a very powerful animal, very you know, uh, stout and uh, sometimes scary. Uh, Can be very fast. Uh, Can also go over you know somewhat distances, but nothing like a camel, because a horse shows the need for water much sooner than a camel. And in fact, uh, if you were to talk to some Bedouins who have lived with camels, they would suggest that camels, in many ways, are their worst enemies, even though they're their best friends. Because camels can go these long distances, extremely long distances... Unconscionable long distances. I mean, we, as as Westerners, we can't even imagine what it would be like traveling across, you know, uh, hundreds of miles of sand with absolutely no water in sight. Camels can do that, but camels never show a sign of a need for water until they drop dead. In, in, in many ways, and maybe you've known some humans like this who, who can push so hard up to a limit, they just come apart. You see, the quote that we began with today, John Eldritch, uh, is suggesting in his book, Resilient, that, that we've yet to uh, really experience the impact of the pandemic. Because most of us can rally in terms of, 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 of uh, emergency difficulties uh, when, when we're needed and that kind of, we can rally. And as we rally to that point, uh, we're ready to go and, and we've got a lot of energy we can put toward it. But it's, it's the aftermath of the tragedy. It's the aftermath of, of the need for that energy that is really important because we don't realize that we once we're through it, we have this innate default mode to want to get back to a place of peace. Or as the way we defined it in the series is finding good. That, that place where it just feels, okay, it's centered, it's right, things are in balance, I'm back to normal. And unfortunately... Uh, there is no such thing. I mean, once you go through something like that, you push hard and, 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 and you, you, you go through and you exhort all the energy that you need to get through that, that mountain that you're climbing emotionally or financial crisis or family crisis, health crisis, marital crisis, kid crisis, whatever it is, whatever it, when you get on the other side... You're looking to get back to normal, but unfortunately, what you should be looking for is the next normal. Because normal is no longer going to be normal. And we have this default mode. I believe it comes by being created in the image of God. Right in the beginning, the Bible clearly says that you and I are created in God's image. And we have this innate desire, this default mode, to find that space, to find that good, to find that, that, that thing. I would define it as a thirst. You and I have a thirst for the good in life, and it's, it's, it's built in, it's, it's natural, everyone has it, but not all of us deal with it in the same way. Sometimes, as we think about this thirst for life, um, we, we deal with it in, in unusual ways, in, in ways that cause us maybe to be more like camels and, and less like horses. Horses show their need for water. Horses show their fatigue. Horses give you plenty of clues when you've pushed them too hard. The external signs are obvious with a horse. But with a camel they're not the first sign that a camel is in need usually is when it drops to its knees falls to its side and breathes its last breath and dies and you have no clue maybe you know we've seen some of this maybe this is what explains some of the the massacres that we see that take place in our country That human beings get pushed to that end and no one sees it. After it's over, no one really sees it. They start picking for clues as to what happened and they don't realize is that humans, sometimes emotionally, after we've gone through this, we we don't realize that that the real danger is on the other side. The real danger is what it's done to us, how it's done to us things to us and, and realizing that we need to be more aware. I, I would suggest that one of the things that, one of the skills that is most helpful in a spiritual journey is a skill of, of coming to grips with recognizing where you're at recognizing the red dot of your life, understanding right where you're at and being able to both articulate it because you feel it and and, and be able to explain it and understand it. But most of us never get beyond that. We feel it and sometimes we run away because that thirst for life is so strong. We think we find it. We think we find it in a relationship. And so this relationship soothes the need. We, we think we find it as if it's a, we're a couple and, and we feel like our marriage needs a, little, you know, needs a little something, and so we have a kid. I mean, talk about insanity. Yeah, a little something's right, yeah. A little chaos. A little chaos never hurt anybody. Bring a little one into this thing. Or we need to change our job, or we need to change our neighborhood, or change our relationship, or, or you know, we, we have this, this itch, And this itch is really that thirst for life. It's that thirst that was built in us, that default mode to to go find things. It's why the Bible uses the analogy or the, the metaphor of God being living water. That he quenches that thirst. He satisfies that thirst. And whether you go from the beginning of the Bible, even all the way to the end, You find this idea of God being this quenching, this satisfying. It is God who is the giver of the living water. When Jesus meets in John chapter 5, meets the woman at the well, or John chapter 4, he meets her. and, And he says, you know, I will give you water. And if you take my water, you will never thirst. Now, that's a pretty bold claim for a human being. But Jesus was more than just a human being. He was God who came in the flesh, who would live and die and rise again. He was promising to be the quencher of that thirst. But I would suggest that, that many of us struggle because we don't have the skill of self-awareness. We don't spend much time figuring out where we are. We're too busy on the move. We're too busy distracting ourselves to death to really understand where we are. It's what... When, Moses comes along, or excuse me, Jeremiah comes along and and speaks to the the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah 2, God is speaking through Jeremiah. The the Israelites, um, they were sort of God's people. God chose them way back in the beginning of the Bible, and he begins to work through this nation of Israel. And they find themselves in captivity. They find themselves... they're, they're in this space of not being the blessed people of God. They're just like, they're in jail, basically. Uh, and, and Jeremiah comes along and says, look, God's got two things against you. He's got two things that, that really you need to pay attention to. The first thing is, is to understand that you have forsaken the true quencher of your thirst. You, you've, you've forsaken the water that would actually give you stuff. And, and how did they forsake it? Well, you can go and look. Um, they chased things. They, they, they chased, you know, actual idols. You know, I mean, they were, they were such, you know, such an, uh, an undeveloped world. They worshipped material things. They didn't have cars to worship at that point. They didn't have houses to worship at that point. They didn't have kids' accomplishments to worship at that point. Uh, they didn't have job titles to worship at that point. They didn't have all that kind of stuff. But they, so they made little, you know, little idols to go after. And they went after them. And they, they gave meaning to them. You see, the pursuit of that thirst can actually lead us in different directions. Uh, it's Dallas Willard, a kind of a spiritual hero of mine, uh, wrote a lot of books. Uh, he was a professor of, of philosophy at the University of Southern california and And Dallas uh, says uh, this idea that um, you know, everyone is being spiritually formed this morning you came here and, and you 're being spiritually formed. Some of you have made a decision to not watch the game and you've come here and and so you 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 have this tension in your life you're thinking please don't tell me the score i've got it recorded at home you know so uh in just a moment we're going to do picture in picture up here um no i'm just kidding <laughs> but in all seriousness you know in in that moment i feel that i love the chiefs i'd love to watch it. i'd love to sit at home you know, drink mimosas and watch the game and, you know, have some breakfast foods and that kind of stuff. But I, I chose to come here like, like you did. And, and, and really, that's an allegiance. Now, I realize some of you are right now watching it on your phone and trying not to, Yeah, oh, you know, that's okay, that's okay. So, but, but the idea is, is that <laughs> quit pointing at your wife or your husband or that kind of stuff, it's Okay. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Just don't tell these people to have it recorded, the score. I mean, they, you know. So, but in all seriousness, those decisions in life, those small decisions in life, are how we pledge allegiance to one operating system or the other. We, we come into this world and, and we're born and marred at the very beginning by being humans. And so we have this one operating system that's sort of self-preservation. We we just do what it takes to feel good and to get by in life. And then at some point we get engaged with this other potential operating system that says, okay, there's a creator God who designs things and and he, he wants you to listen to him. And pledge your allegiance and trust that he might know what he's doing in this world, even though you can't touch and see and feel him. A a radical idea, a a step of trust, living as if it's true. And so, right off the bat, the Israelites are being accused of choosing the wrong direction. They've gone in the the self-preservation direction, rather than in the God-trusting direction direction and so the first skill or the first opportunity that we have to embrace this idea of resilience is is first of all to understand that we in fact are agents who have a choice to either choose self-preservation or to choose this direction of trusting a creator god and recognizing those moments in our life when we come to them that what they for what they are they're those moments, those moments when, when Jesus says, look, I, I, I have your best interests in mind. And, and, and I think if you did this, rather than that, you would be better off. But unfortunately, in the midst of that, our thoughts and our feelings become supreme. You and I find ourselves choosing to believe ourselves rather than to trust in God. And so the second issue that comes, not just understanding that pivot point and when it starts, the second is, is to recognize the pursuit of false things. God says through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 2, he says, look, um, not only have you... You've forsaken my ways and and chose to not drink of my living water. But also, you've built broken cisterns. Broken cisterns. If you've ever had the frustration of having a bucket you're trying to use have a hole in it. You know, it's that kind of thing. There's a leak here. Somehow, I keep pouring things in, and it keeps leaking out. You see, that's the problem with that self-preservation thing. It, it, it has this God. Uh, it, it's not really a God that, that has a face or even you can put into a, uh, a, an image, but it has four letters that go with it. Four letters are M-O-R-E. It always wants more. It's never enough. Uh, if you've found, you know, you're choosing that, that path of, of uh Self-preservation, you see yourself and you get recognition. You win some award or people like you or whatever, but it's never enough. You become a black hole of attention. You know, it's like whenever you find yourself, I need more. It should be a red flag, a flare that goes up. It says, oh, maybe I'm pledging my allegiance in the wrong direction. Maybe. Just maybe i 'm on the self preservation side, so I want to just give you a, a sort of a really simple way of of gaining a, a skill that, that might fight this moment because these moments happened every day from the moment your feet hit the Floor, wherever you find yourself in the morning when you get out of bed, until you go to bed at night, there, there are a, a, a thousand moments of choosing self-preservation or a God-trusting allegiance. And, and I find one of the things that happens is in those moments, in, in that pivot point, in, in that decision-making moment, um, there, there are things that rule the decision, things that guide the decision, things that that are really important. And the things closest to us tend to be those things which make a difference. So if I'm feeling strongly in some way or another, I I have some want in my life or some need in my life, or I I feel thirsty for for something, it's my feelings or my thoughts that actually are the most important thing in my mind at that moment. Now, I have this image in my life. I've tried to build it to say, okay, this direction, I'm building broken cisterns. And what I'm going to choose is going to be that which um, I I pour things of life into it, and it just leaks out, and I'm going to need more. I try to have that vision, but at the same time, one of the habits that has been extremely helpful to me is to actually make God's words Not God's word. You know, I can stand up here. Uh Uh-oh. We're in trouble now. Uh, I can can stand up here, and I can tell you to read the Bible, get your fingerprints on the Bible. That's, That's one thing. But one of the ways to get your fingerprints on the Bible or to get the Bible in your mind is to memorize. Is to memorize God's words. Put God's words as close to that pivot point in your life as your thoughts and feelings are. And so you, you don't have to go to God. Actually, you're experiencing what we sing about at Christmas, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. You, you experience that there's a God who is a part of you on a regular basis because you have put his words in your mind to memorize his words. It's been the most effective piece of my own spiritual journey to be able to come to grips with that there's this uh, passage in Psalm 34 8 which says taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see that the Lord is good now I, I know that there are probably foods that you don't like. I didn't grow up liking vegetables. Uh, my mother had the art of cooking all of the taste out of every vegetable that ever existed. And and uh, God rest her soul, she was not a very good cook. I mean, she was great, you know, for for uh, for uh, chicken, fried chicken, and the fry daddy. Or, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, maybe hamburgers. But, you know, uh, but, but she just was, wasn't real good in other spaces. Uh, and so I grew up despising green beans. I mean, I just, I, and trust me now, I know some of you are saying in your mind, he's never eaten my green beans. <laughs> Please do not afflict me with that. <laughs> um, but in those moments... When we're trying to get someone to experience what we know to be true over food, just taste it, right? Just taste it. Just put it in your mouth. Let your taste buds get near. Just taste it. You'll change your mind. Well, that's what David is saying in Psalm 34. Just taste it. Just taste it. Just taste it. And so I would like to challenge you today to think about, what it's like to tasting, what it's like to experiencing God at those moments by memorizing a passage of scripture. The, the passage I'm gonna suggest, and I've asked Justin Talley, who handles our communications here, who's just up here during the welcome, to assault you with these verse, this verse this week. Uh, you'll get it via text, you'll get it via email, you'll get it via you know, your windshield or however way we can get it to you. Um, but it's, it's just this. And, and next week, uh, Dan is, is going to be sharing on, on this very concept. So it will prepare you for that. It, it, it's Isaiah 41, 10. All right? If you're writing it down now, great. If not, you are not going to be able to not see that this week. If we have any, anything you have, any communication uh, handle that you have. Here it is. It says, "Isaiah 41:10. So do not fear." Now this is a great trivia question. All right? If you want to impress people with your Bible knowledge, which is kind of useless, but um, what word appears most in the Bible? Do not fear. <laughs> do not fear is the most uh, issued command in the entire Bible. Do not fear. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, Imagine for a moment, I don't know what your spiritual disciplines are like, but if, if memorization has not been a part of your spiritual discipline, the opportunity to put those words in your mind so that you don't have to go looking for spiritual counsel, You, you don't have to go open a Bible, open your phone app, you don't have to do anything other than the fact that you have got this locked in your mind and you can repeat to yourself, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Imagine if that was readily available at that pivot point when you have a choice to, to take that self-preservation mode or to move that to that God-trusting mode. You see, the, the danger for all of us is that we're going to lead the life of a camel, We've gone through some stuff, and we're still going through stuff. As, as many of you know, I was in Israel a couple of weeks ago. I left Israel 36 hours before the first missiles flew. And I sat on the other side in Jordan and watched the rocket's red glare come down on Israel via Hamas. And we've all seen the, the ensuing... The, the, the massacre uh, uh, of the Israelis and, and the decimation of the Palestinians all because of this, this evil organization called Hamas. And, and that's just one spot in the world. We're sort of forgetting about Ukraine and that war that's taken place. Most of us don't even have a mind to Niger and what's happening there in Africa or Myanmar, or all these other places in the world. It's a mess. And we sit in this bubble, and yet we realize this bubble is, is, is quaking at this point. And, and the need, and the need to understand, when I'm at those moments, when I'm at that crossroads and that point, I, I, can, I can choose to acknowledge that, yes, I in fact do choose broken cisterns, I pour things into my life. I choose paths, relationships. I choose things that I need more and more and more and more, and it just keeps, it's an endless black hole. Or I can choose another direction. I can choose to say, okay, I'm gonna figure out what it looks like to trust a creator. And I'm gonna put some of his words as close to the moment of decision as my heart, as my thoughts, as my feelings are. And it's gonna make me have the opportunity to choose differently when that happens. You know, that usually takes an inauguration point. It usually takes, okay, Father, I'm gonna do this today. And so we're gonna end this service by, by just uh, having Richard word a prayer for us. It's gonna be on the screens. Uh, you you can read it along with him if you'd like, um, quietly, silently, or out loud. It doesn't matter, um, but but it's a an expression of what it says to say. Okay. I realize that I'm I'm not practicing a life of resilience. I I need, I I need at that moment, to choose a life of resilience, not the false. Not the broken cisterns, not the putting, pouring of stuff into my life that needs more and more and more, but to find a place that might satisfy my soul like I was created to be. So let's follow along in this prayer with Richard.
1: Jesus, I return to you now in my longing for life to be good again. I love you, Lord. Hear my soul's longings desires, and heartaches. I consecrate you, I consecrate to you my primal drive for life. I surrender to you my ability to aspire for good things, to plan for them, take hold of them, enjoy them, and to continue aspiring. I consecrate all that lives in me to you, Lord Jesus. I surrender to you my famished craving for life to be good again. I love you here, Lord. I love you right here. And right here and now, I ask for your river of your life to flow into me in my primal drive for life and in my longing for life to be good again. I open my heart and soul to the river of life. Let it flow into me, through me, and all around me, restoring, renewing, and healing me. You alone are the life I seek, and I welcome your river into my heart and soul. I receive the river of your life in me. Thank you, God.
0: In your holy and righteous name, I pray. My last Sunday afternoon was a little bit different than most of yours, as I sat with my 94-year-old mother-in-law and watched her spirit separate from her body. And in that moment, uh, there was a, a kind of uh, a surprise when she began to speak, and and it was it was amazing. Um, the moment I will never forget. And it was a moment I. I long for every one of us to experience. Because we just sang or listened to them saying, Jesus, I love you. But as her body was separating from her, her spirit was separating from body, she was saying, oh, he loves me. He loves me. Jesus loves me. And I'm sitting there in this otherworldly moment watching this, thinking... She's not declaring her love for Jesus. She's experiencing Jesus' love for her at the last moment of her life when when everything's on the line, she's leaving this world and going to the next. That's what David wants for all of us. In Psalm 34, 8, when he says, taste and see that the Lord is good to experience his love for you. And to return that in allegiance to him being the creator, the author of life, the giver of the the water that never, ever allows you to thirst again. So I hope this week that you'll take this little skill, Isaiah 41.10, and that you'll memorize it. And you'll keep it memorized. That you'll just go over it and over it, and over it, and over it. And once it gets ingrained in your mind, it will never leave you. It will be as present as your feelings and thoughts in those moments when the battle rages. And the choice of self-preservation or trusting the Creator comes about. And, and you'll have weapons for that war. Let me pray once again. Father, uh, we're grateful that you didn't leave us alone in this world. Um, even as crazy and odd as it might f- sound to think that, that we pledge our allegiance to someone we can't touch and see and feel, we, we, we know that, that Jesus came to this earth, that he lived and he died and he rose again. That, that moment in history, that history screams that you conquered death, gives us the, the inclination to trust you, to pledge our allegiance in your direction. Because for, for most of us, Father, for me, I know for sure that I've experienced what it's like to trust myself. And I know that, that just has no good end to it. And so I pray this week as we put your words in our mind that we might have weapons to go to battle for those moments when we make those small choices to choose self-preservation or to trust you. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his life, for his death, and his resurrection. And we come in his name. Amen.